We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. This is episode number 100. Scott, we finally made it to the big 100. What did you get me? Did you? Do you feel old? Why would this make me feel old? I don't know, because 100 days that you're recording uh, has made me feel old. Well, has nothing old. to do. has nothing to do with my knees hurting or my back hurting, and I got you nothing. Nothing. That's very blunt and rude of you. <laughs> Actually, no, I did get you something. Yeah? It's in the, it's in the mail, yeah. It's oh, in the mail. You yeah. don't even have my address. Oh, I do. No, I do. Oh, I have your address. <laughs> and it's in the mail. It'll be a it'll be a big surprise yeah. when you get it. Can't wait. Uh, it's pretty crazy that we made it this far, right? Uh, episode 100, that's a milestone. It's definitely a milestone. I think it's... Uh, it's a it's a pretty big important number for us because we've been doing this for two full Yankee seasons now, going into our third. Uh, you know we've definitely thrown in some other episodes here and there, but every single week we've we've been consistent. I think that's one of the biggest things, right? I think starting this, you and I said we're going to do this every week, and every single week we've had a show. You know whether even if it's uh, you were you couldn't make it or I couldn't make it, and that was there are very few and far between, but. Uh, we we have a show at least once a week, every single week. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, if I had to guess, I would say we have done about 90 of them together. And then there's been maybe 10, maybe a couple more that it's just been one of us. 
Yeah, or uh, fill in because there's definitely been a few times where where even one of us couldn't make it. But yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. I got to tell you, if you were going to ask me two years ago if we were going to make it to 100 episodes without missing an entire week, I would have I would have bet the field most likely just because things happen. So that's, you know, that's a pat on the back. We got to give ourselves a big pat on the back for that one. Have you gone back and listened to some of those first few episodes? You know, I haven't. We probably should. I bet they're pretty bad. I, I feel like I would be cringing the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, no, I actually do want to. I want to do that now Not, and uh, see how bad they are. I mean, there's still obviously room to grow and get better, but I, I remember some of those first episodes, us being slightly awkward. Well, the other thing is that because of we've talked to each other a hundred times on a hundred episodes for you know an hour each time, at this point, you and I very much know each other like the way that we're going to react almost before we say it, and there's just a there's a much better back and forth than there than there was in the beginning that's for sure because you know you got to get in your flow and i think we've hit that do you remember the first day that we recorded it was a saturday and we recorded three episodes because we wanted to launch three in one week sort right. of get a good base of stuff going and uh so we did three back to back to back and i remember rich was on one of them we talked about a rod the whole episode yeah and then there was one episode where my, i just we couldn't figure out why I sounded like shit. And it was because my headphone mics was mic was picking up everything, and I like didn't have the Skype settings correct. Uh, so obviously, there's a lot of growing pains uh, when you're starting a podcast. And I was a complete rookie when I was starting, so I didn't really even know how to get the audio correct. Well, but, the funny thing is with the audio stuff. I mean, that that even happens later, <laughs> but just by accident, things can happen. And I couldn't even tell when you were talking. At that time, and yeah, you're, I think the mic wasn't being picked up, and it was your actual the the laptop picked it up instead. Right, and then that third episode on that day, you and I were just like, you know what, screw this, let's crack open a few beers, and I think that's that's when we sort of started to loosen loosen up. Man, I think I've had a beer like every single episode since then. That's bad. <laughs> this this podcast has definitely had me drinking more on on uh, Sunday and Monday nights. That's uh, uh, is that my fault or is that just? That's no, just I think it's just problem. force of yeah. It's probably just a me problem. It's force of habit now. I just I enjoy having a couple of beers while we're talking baseball. It makes it more fun. I it's usually just, it feels it feels right. I usually don't drink. There's a couple episodes where I have been drinking, um, and I remember one of them. Do you remember the episode we did after the wild card game last year, and we recorded late night after the Yankees laid an egg, and uh, I was I was more than a few beers deep for that episode. And I think I got you to sing the 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS song. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, th I still think, you know, you and I were talking about what we should what we should talk about for 100th. And one of my, uh, I suggested, you know, talking about our, our favorite episode that we've done. And, and I actually didn't, couldn't think of one that would like stood out, but I just thought of one that absolutely stands out. And it's when we were at spring training and we did the live episode because we had so many technical issues on that one. <laughs> And we had been at a game all day. Then we went to the bars. Then we recorded it like, I don't even know what time it was. And the only reason we had any audio was because of the the little boom, the little uh, lapel microphone that we had like across the room on the uh, periscope on the periscope. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. It was the phone. It was the phone microphone. That was we it up two, the drunk microphone idiots, didn't work. two drunk idiots trying to figure out technology in the ghetto of Tampa. Yep. And we have a video of it too, which is even better. Uh, yeah, and then you had to download some bootleg software to try and get that audio to convert to the proper format, and I think your computer got a virus. 
I'm pretty sure my my computer still has problems if, booting yeah, up because if, of that. Yeah. yeah, it's probably from all the porn, but you can blame it on that. Uh, it's definitely yeah, not the porn. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, that that is a good that is a good episode to remember. The live that was our first in person live quote unquote live episode. The one where you and I were sitting face to face. So that was yeah. definitely a great episode. We did two of them that weekend. Uh, great weekend, and I hope that we we make that a tradition. I think we should. I think that's that's uh, the new tradition that we have the Bronx Pinstripes outing once during the year. We're going to add more games to that and have listeners and readers come out. But I think spring training needs to be a yearly occurrence because it was a lot of fun. It, and that was my first Yankee spring training. And I had a blast. I mean, I know I know we had a lot of fun and uh, I think we could do some cool stuff down there. I think we really could, and, I, and you and I need to talk about this more offline, but there's there's some events we could host down there too because, I mean, that place was packed for that game, and, and it was, you know, just your run-of-the-mill typical, I don't know, did we even go to a weekend game? Didn't we go to a Friday game? Yeah, we went to, yeah, it was a Friday game. It was a so, Thursday, I went to a Thursday, then Friday, yeah, because Saturday they were away. So there's definitely some stuff we could do down there, so definitely looking forward to that. But if you we are, got live, we got live music covered. We got the, we got we got that dude who was who was panhandling or whatever the hell he was doing outside the game. <laughs> That's true. He 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 played New York, New York, and then we realized it wasn't New York, New York. It sounded nothing like it sounded nothing like what we thought. You it were was. like, oh, that was a that was an interesting rendition. I was like, yeah, that was not New York, New York. Um. So I looked. I last week. Do you remember we talked about the reviews and someone said that he wanted me to shut up about Masahiro Tanaka. Yeah. So I, I figured I'd go in and look at some of the reviews. And thank you for everyone who has rated and given it a review. But I noticed we have 95. And since we're doing episode 100 right now, five of you out there, just go give it, get it up to 100 reviews and even number 100. If you guys listen, if this is your first episode that you're listening to or your 50th or maybe even your 100th, please give it a review. Be honest. If, if you think we suck then I guess you can tell us that. Although I feel like if you're listening after 100 episodes, you don't think we suck. So definitely give it a five-star review and leave a comment. It helps us out tremendously in the ratings. So that is what I ask of the listeners for episode number 100. Yeah, and I have a problem with that one review that was talking about the Tanaka, you know, basically saying it would be perfect if they didn't ramble about Tanaka. And I have a problem with the we comment. It's like I'm getting lumped into you and your opinion now about Tanaka, and that's that's a problem for me. I think it's fair. I mean, I get lumped in with your asinine Nathan Avaldi comment. But my stuff's good. My stuff makes sense, and it's, and it's you know, logical. I think there's more people than you realize who are agree with, <laughs> agree with me on, on Tanaka. My favorite comment is the one that said, I hate the Yankees, but this is a good show. It's like, if you legitimately hate the Yankees, I kind of question why you're out there listening to this Yankees podcast. But hey, I love it. Thank you. Thank you for it was a five star review. So I appreciate that. Um, but we're even having non Yankees fan listen. Yan- non- hey, sometimes Yankees sometimes fans people listen. want to see what the enemy is doing too, and find so. out what's going on in the uh, in enemy territory. So that's that's okay. We 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 welcome all uh, anybody who's you know a fan of an opposing team to listen to our show and get some insight about how dominant we're going to be in the next five years. Absolutely. So let's get into some baseball playoffs. Um, somehow last week we forgot to mention that David Price once again sucked in the playoffs, and that's on us. That's on us for not mentioning that. But he has now zero, still zero wins as a starter. He's two and eight total in the playoffs. Those two wins came in relief. 
five and a half ERA. He gives up a hit and inning, a little bit more than a hit and inning in the playoffs. It's just amazing for a guy who he's not the most dominant pitcher and he never has been, but he is one of the 10 to 20 best regular season starters over the last five to 10 years in baseball. And the dude just absolutely chokes his nuts shrivel up into his stomach come October. And it is hilarious to watch. And thank God it was the Red Sox who gave him the most money ever as a starting pitcher. And it wasn't the Yankees. This was something that we talked about when this contract was signed about how happy they're going to be during the regular season and Price is going to be the guy, the guy, the guy, and then everybody in Boston is going to hate David Price come the playoffs if the if the Red Sox were to make it there. And it went to the exact plan because this is what this guy is. Yet he he shrivels. He he does he does nothing in the postseason and they knew that before. It's not like it's not it's it's there's not huge significant changes. I mean, the guy has a decent body of work. And it's it's not good. Um, he's not a Clayton Kershaw who you expect to turn it around and you expect to not be the guy that's that's uh, that's failing in the postseason. And we'll talk about that, about that, I'm sure, about how he's turned around. But yeah, David Price, not a postseason pitcher. Red Sox knew it and still threw a whole bunch of money at him. And it makes me happy. And I just hope the Dodgers aren't waiting around to to bail them out again. <laughs> well. He has that built-in opt-out clause after three years total of the contract. And if he's continuing to suck in the playoffs, I, I just do not see him opting out of that. Because if you're a team, how do you how do you invest that much money in him knowing that once you get to the most crucial time in the season, you can't rely on this guy? I mean, not only did he not get the game one start in the playoffs, that went to Porcello, who did earn it this year. But you figure when you sign Price to all that money, he's going to be your game one starter in the playoffs if you make it. But do you remember last year he got pulled in the in the um, in the playoffs with Toronto and he didn't get a game five start? They gave it to Stroman. So not only do his stats not back it up, but his own team, his own manager, his own clubhouse doesn't really believe in him in the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's just it's you know when when you have a guy that consistently fails like that in big situations, it's tougher for you to get behind him and and rally up and expect a, a good start. You know, at least our boy goes out there and we know we'll be in the game. You know, maybe he's not gonna make a, a complete dominant start, but we have a number one pitcher who's gonna keep us in the game. David Price, you don't know. I mean, this guy could could absolutely blow up and all of a sudden you're you're out of the game because he has a terrible outing. So, it's a big deal. It's an absolute big deal. You play the entire season to get to, you know, the the first your to the postseason and you need people to step up in big situations and they have a guy that just doesn't do it. And and now for him in Boston because Boston is like New York. It's unlike Detroit or Toronto or 95% of the other sports cities out there. He's not going to be accepted in Boston until he pitches well in the playoffs. Kind of like the way A-Rod wasn't accepted in New York until he performed in October. It doesn't matter once what you do in the regular season when you have this track record of failing in the playoffs. So next year, he could go 20-0 and in the regular season, and people in Boston will still be skeptical if they make it to the playoffs. And that's going to be a huge dark cloud looming over the Red Sox and David Price. Um, and it's awesome. It's awesome as a Yankees fan to to have it worked out like that. Um, the, the funny thing is, is when you throw out your first two, you're talking about how Purcello was, you know, earned that number one spot that, and earned that game one. And he did. Absolutely. But didn't you just feel that he was not going to pitch well as well because he's not the guy that he showed this year? Because well, I still don't believe he's that guy. Oh, I don't believe he's that guy either. He didn't pitch 
bad. I mean, David Price only lasted three and a third innings. Porcello at least got them into the sixth inning, and he gave up, I think it was four runs. It's not a good start, but it's not putting your team in a tremendous hole like Price did. Yeah, I, I, I get that it wasn't a, a bomb, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't what you expect from your 20-game no, and, winner. And, and, and this is a guy who I think you know, completely overachieved in that. I mean, we know his ERA was low and he had a lot of run support. So the two people are always talking about, well, he, you know, he has one of the best offenses and that's the reason. Well, that's, that's actually not that true. If you look at the numbers, he did pitch well. Um, but I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just expected him to not be that guy come playoff time. Yeah. So, I mean, Porcello, if you look at his last two seasons, I think you almost throw those two seasons away and you look at his entire career. And that's what I think he'll be next year, which is an average pitcher with a high three to low four ERA. Last year with Boston, he sucked. He had an ERA over five. That's not what he is either. This year, he's probably the Cy Young winner. He's not bad either. He's somewhere in the middle. So if you're the Red Sox and you're you're saying, okay, we are losing David Ortiz, Rick Porcello is probably not going to be the Cy Young again next season. We don't know what we're getting out of David Price. Hanley Ramirez had an awesome year and stayed healthy the whole season, which he hasn't done in like a decade. I mean, the Red Sox had a great season, but they're going to lose a lot this offseason. Ortiz is going to be a huge blow to that lineup, and they got a lot of question marks going into into next season. Even though they made the playoffs, uh, I think the feeling around the Red Sox is bit of a concern well their pitching is definitely a concern it should be i mean even with the signing of price we when we were looking and doing the uh just the analysis before the season started looking at what they are i think we were pretty accurate in the sense that they're a bunch of uh average pitchers porcello for whatever reason came out of the blue and 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 just completely overachieved like you said throw it away because i i truly believe that i don't think he's that guy and they, they don't have a, a, a real true number one guy for a postseason play. They're not built for the postseason right now. It looks like they're a tremendous regular season team. And we all know what, what wins in, in October. And it's frontline pitching with, you know, consistent offense. They have the offense, but their pitching is just trash. It's, it's no good. They're the Cincinnati Bengals of, the, of Major League Baseball. Oof. <laughs> Andy, Andy Dalton. That's not a, the Red Rocket. <laughs> Everywhere with my friends and we have the Dalton line and uh, that's the line of quarterbacks where it goes from really really shitty to mediocre quarterbacks and Dalton is always hovering along that line um, so I think also it's funny that uh, Francona beat the Red Sox in the playoffs and Francona's had a great postseason uh, he's getting so much praise with, for what he's how he's handling Andrew Miller and how he's handling that that Indians team I was watching the game, I believe it was game two or game one, I think it was game two where they showed him riding in to Cleveland Stadium on a scooter with like dad jeans on and socks and sandals on and apparently that's how he drives to the stadium because he doesn't live very far from the stadium. He's kind of the star of the Indians, it's amazing. You know, I've always had a lot of respect for for Francona and the way that he manages the game. I like those guys who who expect a lot out of their players, but also can relate and listen to their, to his guys and actually take that into consideration where, you know, it's not all numbers driven. It's not all, it's not all, you know, uh, one guy dominating exactly what, what happens. Uh, and the guys have no say, I think, I think he really does do a good job, but he uses all of his guys to the best of their ability and puts them in situations that are, 
you know, lead them to to succeed. And I think that's so important. And we've we've seen how he's done it in the past when he's with the Red Sox. I thought the guy was a, a I think he got there was kind of a coup when when he when he fell out in in Boston. I think his guys just got real screwed up. Uh, there was there was a weird situation. But overall, he's a phenomenal manager. And he knows what he's doing, especially in crunch time. And you're right with the way he's been using Andrew Miller, and kind of saving the end of those games. It's been it's been fun to watch. And you're seeing other managers do similar things now in these playoffs. We've seen the Dodgers even. Yeah, Jansen you know, came in in the seventh. Yeah, there's very very similar situations going on with Dave Roberts, which I'm sure they have some kind of a relationship. Maybe they text. Who knows? And you know, Joe Madden won't be afraid to do something like that. Oh, Joe Madden's crazy. Yeah, he'll do anything. So and I think uh, I think Joe Madden really started a lot of that trend of doing like off off the cuff things and uh, Francona and Madden to me are, are similar managers. Yeah, and I think Francona has has adapted well to the the new I don't want to call it new style of game, but but a new outlook. I don't know if he was necessarily like that when he was in Boston. He had a veteran team and he let them go out there and play. And I think with with Cleveland, he's got a younger team and he's been pushing the right buttons so he deserves a ton of credit and it's I I never really hated Francona when he was with the Red Sox not that you ever really hate an opposing manager I guess you can um in certain circumstances like you remember Ron Washington in Texas I I hated him for whatever reason but um, he he was just doing a bunch of coke I mean I don't know why you hated him (laughs) (laughs) dude was dude was dude was just happy having a good time on the sideline maybe that's why we're in the in the dugout (laughs) but uh I never really hated Francona uh, that, I was a big I was a big Grady Little fan. <laughs> yeah, he made a lot of good bullpen decisions. <laughs> um, but that that series right now between the the Blue Jays, I mean, their backs are against the wall, and you know their backs are against the wall when Jose Bautista is coming out and bitching about the umpires. Uh, do you see these comments today? Briefly, I saw them. Yeah, so he basically I, was complaining about the strike zone in Game One. And he's saying that things are conspiring against us, and that's why we're down in the series. And he just said things. He never actually said the word umpire, because I think you get fined once you do. But there's nothing I hate more in sports than players complaining about referees or umpires or calls. It's just like, I I understand calls can go against you, but just shut the hell up. I I don't want to see you bitching about the call. Yeah, it's such a fallout. It's such a, a just... It's a it's a fallback to basically saying that you're not playing well and I need to give the the onus of the fact that we're not playing well and somebody else besides the players. And it's exactly. it's horseshit. It doesn't make any sense because if you look what happens during the season or during the playoffs, umpires are bad one day, they're good one day, they they give you a call one day, they they don't the next day. It, it usually works itself out. Yes, there are bad calls and and you know things are are no good, but at the, at the end of the day you gotta you gotta put you gotta play and if you don't play well then you're gonna lose the fact is the indians have been better exactly i mean that's the bottom line they're shutting down the blue jays offense and and bautista has had a rough year and he's been injured and he hasn't really had that great of a year and i know he's a he's a free agent and he's a little bit older so he's probably feeling a lot of pressure but um I mean, now that the Red Sox are out of the playoffs, I get to just root hard against the Blue Jays, and I'm kind of enjoying mm-hmm. watching them lose now. I would, I would be interested to see the. You're the baseball reference guy. You might be able to pull something like this up. What, what would, what are his numbers after the Odor punch? I'm curious about that because, <laughs> because he's had a bad year. That was towards the end of the season, right? No, that was early. Was it that early, or was yeah. it, was it after the All Star break? No, I want. I thought say it was it. after the All Star break. 
I want to say it was first half. I'm to see what his numbers are. I want to see what his numbers are after the punch. <laughs> you may have just stumbled upon yeah. the reason why Bautista is struggling. I mean, his maybe his his eye socket is out of whack and he can't see the the ball. Or his man, or his manhood is no longer there, and he's uh, just having a, he's having a very hard time with that. Uh, his numbers in this first and second half are pretty much identical this season. They're not good in either, but they're they're pretty similar. So there goes your theory. I need, <laughs> I need to find the date. <laughs> the exact date. The exact date. Google Google can tell you that. Um. But uh, switching over to the the National League, the uh, Kershaw in a span of six days has kind of rewritten his playoff. Uh, I don't what do you want to call it? His playoff uh, outlook, how people look at him, if he's a big game pitcher or not. Oh, it's it, he turned it upside down, and it's kind of unfair. I always thought it was a little bit unfair for Kershaw because, unlike David Price, who just gets crushed, he kind of runs into some bad luck. And I know he, he'll leave the game in like the sixth or the seventh inning with inherited runners, and those guys end up scoring. And I, I understand that's his fault. But at the same time, his bullpen never picks him up, and he goes on short rest constantly for the Dodgers. I think I heard uh, Verducci talking about how Kershaw has made eight starts in the last four postseasons on short rest, and total combined for other pitchers, there's been 10 of them. So he's made almost as much as every other pitcher in the league on short rest. So, I mean, the dude takes the ball on short rest, which is a huge factor probably into why he struggles a little bit. But if you look over the last week, he pitched three times in a matter of six days. One of them was out of the, out of relief. He saved the game in the uh, against Washington in the NLDS, and then he absolutely shut down the Cubs on Sunday night uh, in game two. So... Like you just said, flipped it on its head, flipped the script on its head. Yeah, you can't be much, you can't be any bigger than he was this past week. I mean, the when he when he was in the bullpen uh, after Jensen had gone, Jensen had gone. Well, he was working his third inning, right? Uh, he was working into the ninth, or whatever it was, and uh, yeah, because he got into trouble, and then Kershaw came in. But when I saw him warming up, I was like, this is phenomenal because he pitched what the day before that or two days before that. Two days. The day before? Two days? Uh, two days before. It was one day's rest. That's what it was. Well, yeah, yeah, he pitched game four, and then they had an off day, and then he pitched yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just seeing that and and the fact that he was going to come in in a situation where he's obviously not used to, this is this is totally out of his norm, um, you know, completely on zero rest, basically, uh, and then coming in to close the game out. I mean, that's – it's just – that's that's how you write a story. I mean, like, you know, turning it upside down, I mean, he's rewritten his playoff story now. People are going to remember – this postseason, whether they win or not, or whether they continue or not, he's really made, you know, built his legacy up postseason wise uh, just because of this past week. I mean, he's done phenomenal work. Uh, imagine, though, if he gave up a hit to Daniel Murphy there in relief. I mean, it would have just been everybody would have piled on Kershaw. But he didn't. No, I know that. But it's just funny how one at bat can swing things so drastically. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, one at bat could do it. That's, that's a. Uh, you saw how the Cubs were, were, were look like they were. I'm sorry, the Dodgers looked like they were going to win uh, Game One against the Cubs, and out of the blue, Cubs just come back, man. And the, that team is relentless. I swear to God, it seems like every single time they're down, they just get they get guys on base and then a big hit. Yeah, that comeback they had against the uh, Giants in uh, in San Francisco. That that reminded me of those '90s Yankees teams where they just looked dead and buried in a in a playoff game, and then so many times it would come the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, and 
It would be like a different team. They wake up and they just claw back. And then once you let that door open a centimeter, they're going to friggin' ram a train through it. And that seems like what the Cubs have been doing in the postseason. And the kid, the Javi Baez kid, I, I now I can see why they were protecting him and they weren't going to give him up in this uh, in the Miller trade because he was one of the guys I wanted to I wanted to see come over and not the Andrew Miller trade in the Chapman trade, um, but he's well, they, a dude that he's special. Yeah, I mean that was the whole reason they felt comfortable moving on from Starlin Castro. Yeah, he's a special dude. Well, I, that's weird though too because even last year when they were getting rid of Castro, they weren't 100 percent sold on Baez. I mean, even this year he was. He didn't have a, a role every single day. I mean, he hit, he was in the lineup quite a bit, but he was all over the place. I mean, he doesn't really have a position yet with them, which is, it's crazy how how much they move him around, but yet they'll still find a, a you know pretty much a way to get him in almost every day. Now in the playoffs, they have to get him in every single day. But the kid's dynamic and he's a phenomenal fielder. I mean, he made some ridiculous plays. As far as defensive metrics go, like advanced fielding metrics, the Cubs are the best defensive team in baseball, and they have so many guys that just move around positionally. It totally flies in the face of everything that hundreds of like a hundred years of baseball thought where you can't move a guy from second base to left field to third base to center field. It's not going to work that way. But Joe Madden doesn't give a shit. He's going to play his guys where he wants and they're going to have the best damn defense there is. And we're going to see that more and more and more because there's going to be because of the shifting and because of the the flexibility with I mean National League for sure is is even more different and and you have to get a little bit more crazy because of the double shifting or the double yeah the double, double uh, switching double switching thank you and the you know with the pitcher hitting and things like that there's going to be a lot of movement so I think Joe Madden was built and and made for the National League he he can definitely go out there and have a lot more fun than he did in the American League because he's got so many more options to meddle with things and he loves doing that. Yeah, I was actually having a conversation with a buddy of mine today on Gchat about the NL versus AL. He's a White Sox fan, so he hate, absolutely hates I'm the sorry. Cubs. I'm sorry. He I'm is, sorry for him. He'll he'll IM me every day. He's just like I could just tell he's so terrified that the White Sox or that the Cubs are going to win. <laughs> but we were talking about how uh, NL versus AL, and and he was saying that he he wishes that the DH was a part of both leagues. And I was even though I'm a American League fan and I like the DH, I almost kind of enjoy that whole dynamic of national league craziness going on uh watching these playoffs it's it's just more fun i think it definitely acts adds a different element and i think probably some of the appeal for me is that i don't watch it all the time sure so the only time i'm really watching national league baseball is either the yankees are visiting a national league club and and uh, you know the clubhouse, and we're going by National League rules, or it's the playoffs, and it's usually the playoffs when you see most of it because there's a lot more moves going on. But um, I think that's where it is. I think it would be annoying to me if I had to watch it every day. <laughs> I don't want to watch the pitcher hit I, every day. I just don't, unless you know, unless one of these guys rakes, and there's there's only a few of them. But it's uh, I don't know. It's not even if they do, even if they're great hitters, you know, they're how often are they hitting, and you know how well can they really do, and I don't know. There's a there's a reason why the DH I think it's it's more fun I think the the younger audience that's why I think the DH is going to be <sighs> through both of them because I think the younger audience wants to see the ball go out of the ballpark. But I don't think that one extra batter in the lineup is going to make these younger kids watch. I mean, unfortunately, baseball is not really being watched by younger kids, and it doesn't matter if they have a DH or no DH. But it's not just the DH that's hitting the ball out of the park for that. It's also the Cubs hit the ball out of the ballpark no no problem. Well, uh, no, I get that, but I'm saying the uh, with all the switching as well. I mean, it's a longer game. It's a little bit more tedious to watch as well. I would say for a National League game, 
So you have the offense, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it better. gets much more tedious than a Yankees Red Sox game. Well, that's different. on Sunday that's, night baseball with those like are, fifth inning and it's eleven oh two p.m. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. But um, I think overall, they're the games in the National League are a little bit more tedious. And I don't even know what the what the time difference is, but they've got to be longer with the amount of switching. No, they do. National League games are quicker. Really? Always have been. Yeah. Maybe maybe because the umpires have a like a, a, a strike zone that's a foot bigger than the American League because that's something that's absolutely true. The strike zone is so much bigger in the National League. So Jose Bautista can't go to the NL. No. The, the, the strike zone is totally different. It really is. Um, all right. You ready to – so the topic as far as Yankees go that I want to discuss today is we need to figure out what the Yankees are going to do with Jacoby Ellsbury and Brett Gardner. You and I agree that both of them cannot be on the 2017 roster, correct? Yes. There's there's a spot for one of them probably. So I tried to do some research. I did some digging. And by that, I mean I just uh, looked up a bunch of baseball reference pages on different teams and tried to figure out who would be desperate enough to take one of these players. Uh, first of all, let me, let me share some stats with you. Uh, one of these players over his age 30 to 32 seasons – which is the last three years, is a 264 hitter with 11 home runs a year and 27 stolen bases. And the other one, same ages, age 30 to 32, is a 259 hitter with 13 home runs and 19 stolen bases a year. Wouldn't you say essentially the same player? Pretty much. The only difference is that one of them is making $10 million more per year, and that's Jacoby Ellsbury. And he's actually the one with the slightly worse stats. Um... Brett Gardner's slugging percentage and on-base percentage is better than Ellsbury's. Gardner's maybe, won some gold gloves, too. Maybe he doesn't have the the extra stolen bases, but neither of them are really stealing many bases nowadays. I think Ellsbury had uh, 40 stolen bases in his first season with the Yankees and about 20 in each of his last two. So it's just they're redundant players. I said they were redundant players when they signed them, and it's becoming more and more evident as they're now 32 years old they're not – I mean, Jacoby Ellsbury once stole, I think, 70 bases. He's never going to do that again. Nope. Um, so they're they're just completely redundant players, and they're eating up money and roster spots. So they got to trade one of them. I still think Gardner's probably the more likely option to be traded, but I think their main priority should be finding out if a team will take Jacoby Ellsbury or at least take 75% of his contract to just move it. Um, so I, I found a couple landing spots for him. The first being the Dodgers. Not only do they owe it to the Yankees because they <laughs> they bailed because, out the Red because Sox because of a five Boston bailout. Yeah. yeah, So they owe it, but it, in reality, they've had Chase Utley and Howie Kendrick leading off. I mean, those guys are not leadoff hitters. Chase Utley is what a hundred years old, and Howie he looks Kendrick- he looks it. If you when, if you see him after the game when he's given like a in like the dugout when they're doing the champagne and he's got no hat on, dude looks like he's sixty five years old. Yeah. He's lived a hard life. He's he lived in Philly for a while, so that's probably yeah, why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Howie Kendrick is a second baseman, and he's been playing left field. Uh, I mean, they—you're telling me they couldn't? Con- you are you telling me Brian Cashman couldn't look at the Dodgers and say Jacoby Ellsbury is actually a huge upgrade to you guys, and we will just give him to you as long as you take seventy-five percent of the contract. Yeah, they got money to burn. It's not like Magic Johnson and friends can't afford him. There's, They're already there's... so far above the luxury tax that they don't give a crap if they just exactly more player. They're never getting under that thing. Yeah, this is a team that that I think needs a little bit more uh, 
more speed too. I think that that could help them out. You know, maybe we could uh, maybe we could sell that he's gonna steal some more bases. But this is a this is a I, I think. I think you're right. I think it's a good landing spot. One purely because they owe us. They absolutely owe us, and it would just it would just be it would be perfect because we signed Ellsbury from the Red Sox that the the Dodgers would take him uh, off of our off of our books. I think it would just be it would be storybook. You know, it would be a beautiful ending. So I think that's the the logical spot. I wouldn't even expect a player back in return. Just why why give us one? It doesn't matter. Just the money. It's fine. Just please oh, yeah, take it's, the money. It's fine. It's fine. And it would open up so much for the Yankees. Um, and if it's not the Dodgers, maybe it would be the Nationals. And I think this would be a, a little bit trickier because I don't think the Nationals are in the, the business of just taking other teams' handoffs and, and paying for them. But um, they've had Although trade... they probably have one of the richest owners in baseball. <clears throat> Doesn't mean he wants to just take Jacoby Ellsbury's eight. You know what I looked up? I, I was just looking at, while I was doing this research, I was looking at Ellsbury's year-by-year breakdown. He's making 21 point something million dollars a year. And you realize that he has more money coming to him in the future than he's already made in the past? It's crazy. It, it, it almost blew... I, I almost thought it was like an error, but it blew my mind that he still has more money coming to him than he's already made, and he's 32 years old and not very good anymore. I tell you the biggest the biggest thing for Ellsbury that that has uh, that has taken away from this this contract and what the Yankees thought they were getting is the fact that when as he was going to get older you got to believe the Yankees knew that the stolen bases were going to go down right that's just natural it happens to every single player <laughs> during the steroid era or not the stolen bases go down as you get older but the one thing that did not happen was the power that he flashed in Boston for never that really one season never really came yeah never really came to to new york and never really continued and that is why his value is jack because he can't hit the ball at the ballpark in our short porch where he's supposedly <laughs> perfect for and that's the guy that they thought was going to be and i think everybody looking at that contract was like okay he's not going to steal bases but but later in his contract He'll be able to to hit the ball at the ballpark still, maybe eventually DH. Like this is a guy that could could get old in Yankee Stadium and still do well. Not the case. Yeah, if you're not hitting the uh, as a left-handed pull hitter, if you're not able to hit the ball out of the Yankee Stadium right field porch, you can't hit it out of anywhere. Right. Um, getting back to the Nationals, though, they, I would assume, want to move Trey Turner back to the infield, right? I, I don't even is his natural position a sh- he was shortstop Short, right shortstop but he's been playing he played second short and center for them and he was playing center in the postseason and yeah. I mean he's freaky athletic so he I was could, gonna say he's got wheels for days so he I could don't play know. center field but yeah but I think it's easier to find a center fielder than it is a shortstop so if he could play shortstop the Nationals probably want to move him back there so they'll be in the market for an outfielder and maybe you can. Try and brainwash the Nationals into taking Ellsbury and a portion of his money. Yeah, I think we're the Dodgers. Come on, Dodgers. <laughs> You're still holding. Okay. So I got one more option for you, and it's the St. Louis Cardinals. And it's because if you look at their outfield production this year, it's one of the worst in baseball. And Matt Holliday looks like he can't even walk anymore. So maybe you just swap problem for problem. The only thing I'll say about that is it doesn't feel – it doesn't feel like a St. Louis Cardinals move at all. It doesn't. 
Yeah, and but, that's and I, and I feel like that's a big deal because if you look, they they seem one. They definitely have good ownership. They 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 have a system that's worked for a very long time, and they tend to they they don't tend to take big contracts on. I mean, we saw what they did with Pujols. They they wouldn't go for the years. They were they were adamant about it. They put their foot down and they let them walk. And this is a team that they're fiscally responsible, and they usually promote from within and and use their their system to do so. So it doesn't feel like a St. Louis Cardinals move. But Matt Holiday's making big money for the next two years, so maybe you kind of shift some money around and make it work, and you just say we'll take Matt Holiday and a little bit of Ellsbury's money. You take Ellsbury; he's an upgrade over Holiday at this point, and the Yankees can just sort of convert Holiday into a DH. Uh, so we'll, we're going to be complaining about Matt Holiday for the next year and a half then. Okay, it's a year and a half versus four and a half. Is he a right-handed batter yeah. or a left-handed batter? Right-handed He's right-handed. Batter. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, but I, but it's like it's like how these uh, NBA teams take on these expiring contracts. Right. There's less, there's less <laughs> years that I'll be complaining about Matt Holiday. We we have Jacoby Ellsbury through 2020. Yeah. Brian Cashman's got the Dodgers. I'm still going with the Dodgers. The Dodgers, <laughs> I think the Dodgers are our best option. All right. I think Brian Cashman needs to get some uh, some like some some Trump tapes on Magic Johnson and and you know some Florida Donald Trump there. tapes or some yeah. some Trump tapes. No, some Donald Trump like tapes and uh, and float them out there. Like, some, this, Donald these are gonna, Sterling, some Donald these are going, Sterling. Oh yeah, Trump Donald tapes. Sterling. Yeah, LA very hot. Yes, that's a hot button right there. Donald something, and Donald. That's interesting. So, something going on with that. We need to float something out there and uh, and uh, just blackmail them really. I'd imagine not many babies being named Donald now, huh? It's probably trending down. <laughs> it's like Jacoby <laughs> Osberry. <laughs> trending down. All right, so you're saying okay, so your plan is to beg the Dodgers to take Jacoby Ellsbury. All right, I got a couple options for Gardner. We need to we need to make sure that they don't win the World Series though. Cuz if that happens, they ain't getting Jacoby Ellsbury. No, maybe you just get him the day after they're still drunk on the champagne and you just get him to agree to it. Uh all right, Brett Gardner. I'm gonna re I'm gonna recycle the Washington Nationals as my first option here. And I think that you could actually get them to take Gardner because Gardner is still a useful player only making twelve million bucks and he would play left field for them. So I think Gardner is a much, much more clean option, a much more logical option for a lot of teams because exactly what you said, his his contract is manageable. He's still a productive player. He's a team guy. You know, he is what he is. He, he's Ellsbury was kind of you know, we said we thought we were getting somebody different than what we really got. Gardner is the guy. Everybody knows what Gardner is. He's been like he's been a, a very similar player his entire career, and he still has he still has gas in the tank. I, I believe. Um, well, whether and, and I think I think he could be suited for the National League pretty well, actually. Whether Gardner has gas in the tank or not, if you're a team taking on one of these players, at least you say, okay, if Gardner doesn't work out, we're not broken. The contract's got fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think the Nationals are an option. I think a, another realistic option is the Giants. Um, their offense was terrible this year. The only team that had a worse offense than them that made the playoffs was the Mets, and we'll get to them in a second. But uh, Angel Pagan is going to be a free agent, and Gardner's a much better player than him. As far as war goes, he produced two and a half more wins than Pagan. And I think Gardner could actually go in and be their leadoff hitter and kind of fit into that Giants mold pretty well. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a good spot. I think both of those those I think the Nationals and the Giants are, are very logical spots for a guy like Gardner. Um I think he I think he fits fits that that clubhouse pretty well too. He's kind of a, a gritty guy who would go in and fit well in that team. I think he and Madison Bob Gardner could be good friends. <laughs> They're both Southern boys, right? Yeah, I feel like that that would be a good fit. 
Uh, are they both from the Carolina, like North Carolina? I thought I so. Bumgarner was from like Mississippi or Alabama or something. Maybe. Uh, I think he's from the deep south. <laughs> final, final option for Brett Gardner is the New York Mets. Because yeah. Cespedes might be leaving and the Mets need offense desperately. And you could just sort of, you know, hey, Brett, you don't even have to move. Just ship on over to Queens. I just don't see the Yankees and the Mets making a deal like that, uh, especially for a guy that's been a Yankee his whole career. I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't feel right to me that the Yankees would do that and, and go him move over there and, God forbid, he have a great year. I don't know. I just I could see that. Uh, being a problem for the Yankees. I don't even know. I don't even know if they talk in negotiations anymore, to tell you the truth, because there. I mean, Mc, Brian McCann's a perfect fit for for the uh, the Mets, and you know uh, that never really got any legs. When nobody ever heard anything about that, because I mean, if you look at what their catching situation is, Brian McCann fits it perfectly. And uh, I understand why you don't trade with the Red Sox, or you you don't really trade with any division team. But you see the Mets twice a year, six games max. It's so. not the it's not on the field is what they're worried about though. No, I know they're, they're not. not. But yeah, so that but, that's really not the case. But I know it's off field perception. But just get over that. I mean, easier said than done. <clears throat> uh, all right. So you're you're trading the uh, Jacoby Ellsbury to the Dodgers, and where are you trading Gardner, the Giants? I think the Nationals and the Giants uh, both have very good or very good landing spots for him, and I could see either one of those teams doing it. Um, jolly, I'd lean towards the Giants. So, Brian Cashman, if you're listening to us right now, I just gave you six very good options for your for your players. Like, I better get at least a shout out when you make one of these trades. <laughs> and the Yankees have traded with the Nationals in the past. There's there's uh, there's a couple ties there. Um, but it, but seriously though, they can't have both of these players on on the team because it didn't work. It hasn't worked in the three years they've played together. It's time that one of them goes. It's probably going to be Gardner, unfortunately, because I still like Gardner. He's a they drafted him. He's one of the few position players they they drafted and developed. But I think you can move on from him and then just kind of deal with Jacoby Ellsbury until he's a really really bad player. And you probably have to eat the money like you're eating uh, a Rod's money. All right, you want to get into some mailbags now. Let's do it. I know uh, we got some good ones coming up, actually. We got Louis from Puerto Rico. I'm assuming PR means Puerto Rico. Uh, That's what I th- I'm pretty sure it's Puerto Rico. Yeah. He says, hey, congrats on episode 100. Last episode, you talked about possible trades and mentioned Sonny Gray. But what about Garrett Cole? Last time I heard, Cole wasn't too happy with the Pirates. Also, Pittsburgh and New York has made significant trades in the past, as in the Yankees getting rid of Ivan Nova. And bonus, he's a Yankees fan. What are your thoughts? So this is a guy that the Yankees actually drafted out of high school, I believe, right? He was a first year. Yep. The, 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 and then um, he went back. And then he went to college. and then Went the to college, and then, yep, and then got signed. So there's definitely Yankee ties there. The injuries have me uh, have me nervous about him. Yeah, about the the fact that he's got elbow issues, and I, I you know, it's the last point, thing we need. <laughs> I don't like... want to take any more any more pitchers with elbow issues that we know of. You know, that's that's just not a good not a good sign to come onto a team with those known issues. So, you know, I think everything on the surface looks cool until you start diving into why he's injured and what's going on with his his body, and that's where all the red flags come from. So if you're Pittsburgh, though, and you you probably don't want to give Garrett Cole a big contract, especially with the elbow issues at this point. 
but you're also not ready to trade him when his value is an all-time low. It's a bad time to trade him, but you know we're going to have to look to see what Pittsburgh does this offseason. They're going to be one of those teams that are going to be interesting to watch. You know, all these rumors we talked about it last week about the McCutcheon, them possibly moving McCutcheon to another team, and you know if they if they were to get rid of a guy like McCutcheon and and start rebuilding, then you never know. Like you might see some guys start flying off the shelves. I mean, yeah, but Ivan Nova might be their number two. If you're Pittsburgh though, and you trade McCutcheon this offseason, I still think you say what do we have to lose by keeping Garrett Cole for at least another half season? Maybe he comes in and has a great first half, and then we cash in on him when his value is high. If you trade him right now, you're you're going to get 50 cents on the dollar for him. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, he's uh, what he's. I'm looking at our notes, and he's arbitration eligible, um, but he's a free agent in 2020, so he's controlled for a few more years. And, you know, he's a guy that had a lot of success. I mean, he was, he was nasty last year. Uh, until this elbow flamed up and you know maybe it's nothing maybe it's something but you're right they are going to get 50 cents on the dollar so it would make sense for them not to trade him right now but um you know i don't know just keep a keep an eye out on what what they do for the offseason and and uh if, if there's any any uh beginnings of a fire sale going on you never know you might go at least if you trade for a guy like Sonny gray who also you would be buying or you the uh a's would be selling low on at least he doesn't have an injury history like an elbow yeah, what was his injury this year? I mean, he was he was finger, hurt. Wasn't it a finger? Oh, was it something like that? Yeah, I don't it was something that. weird where it's like you know it sucks. Blisters? You can't pitch. Wasn't no, blisters? Wasn't was blisters? It? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't blisters. Because that's that's my other that's my other mark. Hangman. That's my other mark that I don't want. I want I want nobody coming onto the team with elbow issues or the fact that they have to miss time because of blisters. <laughs> Those are my two criteria. Yeah, blisters in October really seem like they would they would be bad. It's just. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing. All right. Our next one is from Greg. We actually got a couple about the lineup, so we'll read those back to back. He, uh, Greg says, congrats on episode 100. Looking forward to the batting order next year. As the roster stands now, where do you think Didi and Castro should hit? I'm thinking Didi in the two-hole in front of Sanchez and Castro five or six. Behind Bird, McCann, or Judge, what do you think? And then Alex says, what would be your ideal starting nine on opening day? Mine would be Gardner, Williams, Mason Williams, Judge, Headley, Didi, Castro, Bird, Sanchez, McCann, Tanaka, pitching, trading Ellsbury is the best case scenario. What do you guys think? So first let's answer Greg's uh, about <clears throat> where he wants Didi and Castro to hit. You and I have been on this bandwagon for a while that you need, they would, like Didi needs to be towards the top of the lineup. Uh, we were saying it in July of this year and finally happened once they traded everyone away. Yeah. And you know, you, if they were to trade off like one of the guys that we were just talking about, Ellsbury or Gardner, one of those guys, whoever's left, let's just say they do trade one of them. Whoever they trade off is going to be, or whoever they don't trade off is going to be the leadoff guy most likely. And then you want to break that up because we've had two lefties back to back and it's, it's really hurt this team in the past when we face the lefty starting pitcher, because you either have someone random on the two spot or you got two lefties back to back. So the fact that DD has been hitting, you know, at a 280 plus clip, he just seems to be improving on, you know, every facet of his game. He seems really built for that number two spot. He's got some speed. Um, and he, he hit he makes, lefties makes, well last year. He did hit lefties. That was the biggest turnaround. The fact that DD came out from being a horrible lefty uh, against lefties and and one, you know, at the bottom of the the league in, in percentages against lefties to to go into the, one of the guys that was, you know, at the top of the league against lefties. 
and uh, it was an impressive turnaround. He's he's he is trending up. So we got to get him up in the lineup. I, I agree too. He needs to be in that two spot. It makes sense. He's kind of like the prototypical number two hitter. He's I mean he hit twenty home runs last year, which is great. yeah. If you can get yeah. you know fifteen to twenty home runs out of him next year out of the number two hole, that's fantastic. And you just would imagine he's going to get better pitches to hit if he's hitting in front of guys like Bird and Sanchez. So maybe he can crack the twenty to twenty five home runs. And then you got yourself one hell of a shortstop. And Castro, I think that he has shown the ability to be more of a run producer. So I kind of like him hitting in the five or six spot, like Greg said. Um, I quickly wrote down, this was like the first thing that popped in my head uh, about the lineup. I said Gardner or Ellsbury leading off, whoever you don't trade. Didi, Sanchez, Bird, Castro, McCann, Judge, Headley, and then some combination of a utility player, whether it's Tyler Austin, Hicks, Ref Snyder, Mason Williams, some guy we've never heard of, Dustin Ackley, if that guy's still going to be on the team, something like that. Dustin Ackley still a thing? Yeah, apparently. Do, do we still control his contract? Uh, yeah. The uh, yeah, no, I agree. I actually am pretty pretty much in agreement with what you're saying. I think Castro is, is a, a perfect you know five six guy. Depending on how Bird comes back, if he can you know start hitting, if he can continue to hit with power, um, Judge has to be after him. After Castro is what I'm saying until he can prove that he's he's uh, able to hit the curveball He's able to hit with more consistency um, and, and he could find himself Scaling up, you know trending up in the lineup, but he's definitely going to be down in the in the seven eight spot. I would think um, But yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I think that's spot on I don't know if you saw what I wrote about on Friday I, I was talking about the DH spot and yeah specifically Brian McCann and I kind of talked myself into or I wouldn't say I talked myself into. I, I just sort of came to the conclusion that McCann is the best and safest option for the Yankees at this point, rather than trying to dump him and then signing a guy like Mark Trumbo, who I am scared to death of, or Edwin Encarnacion, who's going to cost you probably money. 75 million bucks minimum. He's going to cash in. So McCann is kind of like the lesser of two evils for the DH spot at this point. Yeah, and it was a great article, by the way. Nice job on it. I think there was a the, the conclusion of the article made a lot of sense because of the way that he fits both spots. And you know, I think by the time you read the whole thing and you get to 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 the end of it, that's that's pretty much your conclusion as a reader too. Because I think it was pretty convincing. In all honesty, I think the fact that he does fit the position of DH and he can play first base and catch makes him. But this is something that you and I have talked about to to an extent on the show. Because he he really does fit the way that the team is is formed right now with all these young guys and the fact that we need some flexibility, and you know we not even talking about the fact of of uh, Castro, you know limiting his if if this is a thing if this is what they decide to do and this is where they decide to go, limiting his catching to you know maybe seventy five percent instead Sanchez, of Sanchez Sanchez what do I what do I say Castro sorry Sanchez you know to seventy five percent instead of eighty eighty five percent of him catching just limiting his at bats or his uh, catching a little bit so that he's a little bit more fresh to um, you know to stay hitting through the end of the year so I, I think there's a lot of considerations and I think McCann just gives a lot of flexibility to Girardi yeah but also remember he's not even the backup catcher he'd be the backup to the backup maybe. No, maybe I, Austin Romine, I think, solidified himself a backup catching job unless they trade him. But that's that's what I'm looking at. But I mean, why, I, but like, uh, why? I mean, uh, you because because there, we have another 
you know, this we'll, I, we'll get into Triple A and get into all the minor leagues, but um, uh, the kid uh, Hishikawa in Triple yeah, A is also playing well. There's 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 catching depth still, if you can believe it, still in the Yankees organization. There's catching depth, so I wouldn't put it past them. I just don't know really what. I don't know if you're going to get anything. So I kind of equate them to what they got for Cervelli, which was Justin Wilson, which I guess is is useful to them. They used him and he had a good year and then they flipped that for Chad Green and Luis Sessa. But but I, I really liked Austin Romine last year. I thought he was a positive on this team. No, he was, but didn't he have his best season he's ever had? Didn't he prove that he could be a starting catcher almost in, no, in, on another I team? I would not. I would not say he proved he could be a starting catcher. I think he could. I think he. he I think he showed that he can hit. He showed that he can hit a lot better than he has in the past, like tremendously better. I and think. we all know what he does. We all know what he does behind the plate. He's a. He's a great. He's a plus plus catcher. And you would uh, be pretty scared if you're a team going into the year with Austin with uh, Austin Romine as your starting catcher. I mean, look, Minnesota thought they were going to get. Uh, Exactly. Starting catcher with uh, J.R. Murphy and right. dudes in AAA. So. I know, but they thought he was going to be the starting catcher. I, I could see a very similar situation happening with the fact that a what team thinking that— What did they even get for J.R. Murphy? I don't even remember. Your oh, boy Aaron Hicks. Hicks. Aaron your Hicks. boy Hicks. God damn it. Who was supposed to be—he's Jackie Bradley. We got Jackie Bradley uh, Jr. for him. The amount of, the amount of like, names that, that <laughs> Cashman gets back, it's, it's astounding. Just names. Just a lot, a lot of names. But he could be so great. He's got so much potential. Can, His stuff is lefties. phenomenal. He still can hit lefties. Yeah, we could use him at the end of the bullpen. I could tell you that much. Yeah. 105? 105 translates. Uh, yeah, I when I went into that article writing about McCann, I, I didn't even know where I was going to conclude it. I didn't have a point I was trying to make, and I kind of just made one because I I, I wrote myself into it. Uh I completely scratched off Beltron as an option. I, I want nothing to do with Carlos Beltron. I'm so happy they were able to move him and they were able to move him for a prospect, which is even more amazing. Um, you know, we were shocked at what Beltron did this past year. Are we going to expect that for another year? I mean, you just has, can't do that. The dude has no knees left. I mean, yeah, yeah. can't There's zero, Yeah, no cartilage. But, Kobe Bryant style. Brian McCann as a DH is not very good. He's not good enough offensively to be a full-time dh i know we've, we've had this we've had this uh this little argument in the past and you know I, I, there's no numbers to prove anything beyond what he is as a catcher because he doesn't have enough time as a dh so you know we won't know until it happens really that you know if, if he does make an adjustment and is able to really embrace that dh role and you know his legs are a lot more fresh and he's able to hit better and he's able to take advantage of right field I, I see those all as very, very, very potential options. You don't very think potential it's difficult outcomes. for a catcher to go to DH? It didn't work for Posada. No, I know it didn't work for Posada, but Posada still thought he could catch at that point. He thought he was going to be the guy. So Brian McCann thinks he can catch. He actually wants he knows, to catch so he can But he get knows he's not the guy. He knows damn well he's not the guy. Yeah, but he knows he's not the guy. Remember? He knows there's, there's, no, there's no questioning who's, who's the catcher at this point. So if, if Brian McCann's on this team, there's no questioning that. And I think... I think Brian McCann, uh, I, I definitely think he could take advantage of, of right field a lot more um, as, a, as a DH. And I, I think he's a smart enough hitter, and I think he's, uh, he, I think he would work his ass off. He's, a, you know, he, referring back to your article, the guy's a team guy, you know. He's, he's a guy that, that like, like you said, wouldn't, wouldn't be a problem, right? He would be, no. 
to me, he would be a guy that would, if he's the DH and he's on this team next year, he knows damn well he's not the catcher. So that's his gonna that's his role. That's what he's gonna do. And I believe that Brian McCann, being the guy that he is, the guy that I think he is as far as the um, you know, just just his makeup, I think he would work his ass off to be a hell of a DH. And I think his numbers would improve. Yeah, and he's not going to be a problem. And he, the Yankees no. could do better. Edwin Encarnacion's an upgrade. However, this team needs a hell of a lot more than Edwin Encarnacion. So signing him to big money doesn't help this team for next year. Uh, right. At least McCann doesn't hinder you for the future. So that's kind of where I concluded on it. But uh, good questions, guys. Thanks thanks for the questions. Uh, submit them at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. Voicemail line 646 480 zero three four two you said we got somebody calling up saying that they love the show but they didn't leave a take or anything right yeah it was uh uh, uh i'm blanking on his first name from wisconsin Pr- appreciate you calling in man thank you for the uh the kudos on the show i'm glad you've been listening and uh yeah it's uh you know this is a special deal for us the fact that we've been doing this for 100 episodes the fact that you guys are still listening to us ramble on about the yankees and god knows what else um one, I think we've been doing a pretty good job when football has started. We haven't really talked much football, to tell you the truth. And that's really not even on purpose. I feel like we've just had so much baseball to talk about that when we try to get to it at the end of it, we just are out of time. Um, but, yeah, no, I appreciate everybody listening, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I don't I don't see it uh, at stopping any time. I think, I think you and I are still having a good time doing this. Absolutely. And I think that you at the beginning of the show you said – it's amazing that we stuck it through every week for a hundred weeks, essentially. And I didn't think we were going to be able to do that in the off season. Um, I had no worries about this off season, but last off season, I remember thinking, eh, I bet there's a couple weeks that we have to skip, but we didn't. Yeah. Um, no. And uh, some, some off, some weeks we did two episodes. I, th- I think when the Yankees traded for Castro, I think we ended up doing a midweek episode. So, um, do you want to talk football? I mean, is there something you want to get off your chest that, you know, the Jets suck or anything? <laughs> How nervous are I, you I that have... they're playing Monday Night Football? Probably going to end their season? You, you know, no, it's not going to end their season because the, the – you know, going into the Jets season, you knew the schedule in the beginning was just ridiculous. Uh, they've definitely played worse than expected, no doubt. So don't 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 confuse my words here. But the, def, the, the uh, schedule softens up quite a bit and hopefully – It's not going to matter if you're one and six. It's it's uh, I think they could win tonight. I don't think Arizona yeah, Arizona screwed up somehow, man. I don't know how they are, but they are. Something's not right with them. I agree. Um, although they're they still have a lot of talent, and the Giants they do have the a lot Jets of talent. Are they on the road, up. so yeah. The fact that the Jets keep giving up these big plays is really pissing me off. Like, can we please limit the fucking seventy-five-year-old? I just that was that was a big f bomb right there. <laughs> that is the Jets' fault right there. That was very natural. I just never, I can't talk about never, I can't talk about the Jets without without swearing. I think it took you a hundred episodes to drop an f bomb. <laughs> that was just, that was like a, a very significant that one. I felt it from my from my gut. But I mean, can we can we stop giving up seventy-five-yard touchdowns? Seriously, what? Why does this happen every single week? It's because Calvin Pryor can't cover anybody. He can hit people if he lines them up for 20 yards, but he can't hit. Any, he can't cover anybody. So there's no help over the top. Ugh, Revis is old. The other <laughs> corners are sucking. God damn it! Is I it, hate being a Jets fan. Is it time for Geno Smith? No, it's not time for Geno Smith. <laughs> I would way rather see Bryce Petty play. Oh man! Just because I don't, I haven't been disappointed by him yet. The. Uh... I also want to talk about the Giants because Odell Beckham won them the game. But this the whole thing with the net, like 
Get away. It's so stupid. He spent the entire week planning celebrations with the Knicks. I know, and it was really dumb. It was really dumb. It made him look stupid. It wasn't even funny. He's so freaking talented, and if I'm a Giants fan, I'm just like, ah, oh, God, at any moment he's going to do something to ruin our season. He's still, I mean, with all, all the things that he did, he still had two personal foul penalties. And, you know, he took his helmet off immediately. Like, <laughs> it's like an idiot. That's I, I day really, one stuff. It's so ridiculous. Like, can you just wait till you get to the sideline, then take your helmet off? But no, the dude's got to show his face, got to show his ugly ass hair. And uh, yeah, it's he, he's got all the talent in the world. He's got a, he's just immature, really immature. Do you hate the Giants? I don't really know this about No, you. no, I don't hate the Giants. I, my, uh, so I don't know. Everybody around me, I, I never really became a. I never really got into football until like late in high school. I was never a football fan like growing up. I think it was later in my in my uh, in my youth that I became. I don't know why the hell I became a Jets fan at that point, but I did. <laughs> well, you felt so blessed by the fact that you were a Yankees fan. You're like, all right, I gotta. I can't go Giants too. I gotta, I gotta torture it, yeah. myself a little bit. So. The, well, I, I think it was a New Jersey thing because I'm a Nets fan and a Devils yeah, fan. Giants so I play in Jersey. Yeah, but the Jersey, I don't know. The Jets feel way more like it's a Jersey Jets. Oh, oh you're telling me the Jets feel more Jersey. No shit. Because we played in Giants Stadium. It used to piss me off. That used to piss me off. Anyway, so um, no, I don't hate the Giants. I've, I've never hated the Giants for whatever. My stepfather was always a big Giants fan. So we would always talk football. Um, uh, you know, my first autograph, I think, ever was Joe Morris when I was in like fifth grade. So, uh, no, I've never had I've never had a problem with the Giants. I've you were never... just you were just so enamored by Chad Pennington's golden locks and his noodle arms. You know what? I was actually a, I was a very big Ray Lucas fan. That's that's who got me. I was a huge Ray Lucas fan. I wanted Ray Lucas to be like the 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 second coming. I want I thought he was like the greatest thing ever, and then he just got he got held down a little bit. He never really gave got the option uh, to spread his wings. I thought Ray Lucas was going to be a hell of a football player, but um, but yeah, then Chad Pennington came in and was just. Was, Noodle, noodle arm Chad was uh was dink and dunking. He brought he he coined the term dink and dunk. He was good at it. He was good at it. You you look up and he had three hundred yards dinking, every, like every time he played a full season, which was rare. I think they won ten games. He, uh, yeah, how many times did he win the comeback of the player uh, year award? <laughs> every other year, he, he, he shattered his shoulder like three or four times. <laughs> it was it was every other. He was year. resilient. Yeah, he, he was like the Giants in in even years. He was the comeback player of the year because odd years he was just on the sidelines. The funny thing is, is, he was throwing to Randy Moss in college. I mean, he was. He yeah, was how, throwing, did he get, how did he get the ball that deep? He throws it early. <laughs> it's a one step drop, chuck it as far as he can go and let Randy yes. Moss go run. No, it's a rainbow. Yep. And it just drops in his hands because he was accurate. <laughs> All right. So, as I said, bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast voicemail 646 480 0342 at Yankees Podcast on Twitter. I got to start tweeting from that more. I think I'm yeah, just... so do I. We both we both are have, we both it's a lot to do all of those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At, yeah, come a, come hang out with there. At Andrew Rotondi at Andrew underscore Rotondi. At Andrew Rotondi is taken and then I and I tweeted at the guy seeing if I can get it and he said no. So Yeah, that was a rejection right there. <laughs> and said, no, Scott no, I'm good. no, I'm good. <laughs> um any last words before we get out of here? Episode one hundred is in the books. What do you got for us? Let's do 100 more, baby. Let's hope that next season is a, is a good way to 
to kick off the next century. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be, you know, whether we uh, we have the success that we know is coming in the future. I know it in my heart. I don't know if it'll be next year, but I know we'll make positive strides. So, I don't know. It's, it's a good time to be a Yankees fan, I think. Before we reach episode 1000, the Yankees will have banner number 20. Talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.